Well, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I am scared to death of heights. Um, it, and them at all. Um, and um, no. Yes. Grab the handheld. I got to do the clicker. This is going to be fun today. All right. All right. Uh, there we go. Uh, this. All right. I'm also ADD. This may not go well today. All right. Just. I, we'll figure. Yeah, we'll see. All right, but but I am scared to death of heights. And um, uh, I looked up a Washington Post article, and it had a list of like some of the top fears. Like number one was fear of public speaking. Obviously, I don't have that one. Number two is heights, and I'm scared to death of heights. And about 18 years ago, um, I was kind of stupid. Um, and if you ask my wife, I don't think that's changed, But because um, I have my moments. But about 18 years ago, I was like, I'm going to try and break my fear of heights by going skydiving. That's probably what most people would think, okay? So, um, so I went, I did a tandem jump first. It was really cool. That's whenever you're connected to a uh, professional skydiver. All you have to do is scream. That, that's really your only job. You don't have anything else to do. Um, and then I was like, man, it didn't cure my fear of heights at all. I am still scared to death of heights. And... Um, but I was like, that was such a rush. And then I was like, I think I want to be a professional skydiver. So <laughs> that should have been my second reaction, but it wasn't. So, so I go back, and at least 18 years ago, how it was set up was there were like seven levels that you had to get through to become a professional skydiver. And there's lots involved, but they don't give you everything you need up front. They say, hey, here's level one. You don't do level two. We don't even tell you what you need to do to level two until you get through level one. And level one, there wasn't a whole lot of instruction. There's really just a couple of things. Like, all right, here's your duty. Okay, so just so we have a definition of a duty, because we're going to be talking about that today. A duty is a task or action that someone is required to perform. Okay, so uh, here you go. Rule number one, here's your main duty for level one skydiving. If you want to get to level two, pull your rip cord. That's basically it, because you're only going to mess that up once, just, just so you know. And, and then they're like, all right, now, the, the other instruction we want you to know, because what you do is when you, when you go to learn for level one, you, you, have, um, you have a suit on, and it has these things on the sides, because two other skydivers jump with you, and they can hold on to you, make sure your body position is in the right way and everything, and they can make sure you do, you know, pull your ripcord. Um, and you have a helmet on, and they tell you how to get down once your parachute is, is deployed and all that. So they're like, all right, you just need to pull your ripcord. Number one, you need to do it. And in case it happens, because this happens more times than you would think, and I wasn't sure if that made me more comfortable or not, is that if your chute gets tangled, yeah, Obviously, this happens a little bit. So he's like, they're like, hey, if you're shoot, when you open it up, if the cords are kind of tangled, it's just like if you were on a swing. You ever do this on a swing? You get on a swing, and you go like this, and, and, and the chain gets all wrapped? Same thing. They're like, you just reach up, grab each side of the cords, pull. You just kind of spin a couple times. You're good. All right? So I'm like, all right, well, it happens, but not going to happen to me, right? So there I am in the plane, scared to death to jump out of a plane, and Two professional skydivers are with me, and I go and I jump from like 13,000 feet out of a plane, falling to the earth at 120 miles an hour, having the oh, I'm telling you, it is it, it is a lot of fun. I'm not gonna lie, it was a lot of fun. Still scared to death, and so there I am falling. I get to 4,000 feet, pull your ripcord time, boom. Boom. And as soon as that thing goes up, those other two skydivers, bye bye. They're, they aren't catching up to you at that point. So, and of course the cords to my parachute are tangled. I start thinking, all right, 
my teeth are about to be chiclets, right? All right, I'm, I'm done. See, I think you have to be over 35 to get that joke. You didn't chew the chiclet gum when, yeah. So I was like, this is about it. And I look out, I was like, oh, wait, 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 that's right. They told me, don't freak out. Just grab each side, pull, and everything's fine. It opened up. I slowly and calmly came down, beautiful ride down to the earth, and that was the last time I ever went skydiving. And today we're just going to go there. Not skydiving, don't worry. We're not going to skydive. But today we're only looking at six verses today. Not a whole lot of instruction, but the instruction here is so important. There are severe consequences if we don't get these basic instructions right. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. Last week we were in um, Luke chapter 16, and we talked about we have to have a mind change between being an owner of our stuff and being a manager. I said, hey, this is just what God has blessed us with. This is not for us. We need to manage what God has blessed us with. We need to manage that for his kingdom and not ours. And that kind of mindset just transfers over into today in Luke 17. It just changes from our stuff to us. It's like, okay, God, if I'm just going to decide that, hey, this is not my life, this is your life, and I'm just a manager of it, okay, this is for me. We have Luke 17, verse 1. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is in the back of the Bible. Look for the big books. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's about two-thirds of the way back um, in your Bible, so go ahead and open up to Luke. Luke 17. Now, I'm going to start with the end first because I think the end is kind of powerful. It says, when you have done everything you were told to do, should we say we are unworthy servants? We have only done our, what's that word? Duty. So the stuff we're going to talk about today, it's not like, oh, hey, awesome. No, you know what? I'm just doing what was required of me. And we go back to verse one. Jesus said to his disciples, I love this right off the bat. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, you don't have to do anything we're talking about today. And you picked a perfect day to be here. If you just met someone cute or someone promised you lunch, we are so glad you're here today. But this is not for you. But it is a great day for you to be here because if you ever do decide that, hey, you know what, I don't want to be owner of my life anymore. It's caused me to be where I am now, and I need to give my life over to God and just manage it for him. That's who this is for. So for those of us who would say, oh, you know what, some of you might be like, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a disciple. There is no difference, okay? All right? If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. All right? If you say, oh, no, I'm just a follower of Christ, you are a disciple of Christ. They are the same thing. So he's saying, hey, if you are one of my disciples, if you're a Christian, listen up. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Okay, I thought I'd hear an amen there. You know, I don't know, is that, is that a relief to anybody else other than me? I mean, he's letting us know, because some, come on, some of us, honestly, we accept Jesus into our lives, and we're like, woo, easy goings, right? I'm not going to struggle ever again. I mean, he lets us know right off the top. He says to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But check this out. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, whenever he says little ones here, he's not talking about infants. He's not talking about little kids. He's talking about people who are his children. He is our heavenly father. He's talking about everybody. All right? He's talking about everybody. He was like, so watch your 
selves. We should circle, highlight, underline. Now, I don't know about you, but on that Washington Post list, fear number four, drowning. Now, Jesus just said it would be better to go out onto the pier with a millstone around, and I don't know if you've ever seen a millstone before. A millstone is a pretty big piece of stone. Um, uh, I did a lot of Googling this week. There are some I've seen like about as low as 300 pounds, some that go all the way up to 1,500 pounds. And it's this big circle thing that they would normally tie to a donkey and it would go around in a circle. It looks kind of like this, that big rock there in the middle. Uh, that's a millstone and it would crush all the grain. Um, so that, that's what a millstone is. And Jesus is like, hey, it's better for you to go to a pier with that around your neck and do a cannonball into the ocean than to cause any of my kids to stumble. You can take that down. I clicked it. This is working again? Yo, can we give a hand? Because you guys are awesome. They've probably been trying to flag me down for like five minutes and I haven't seen it. Oh, whoa, man, freedom. This is great now. All right, so, so here he just says, all right, hey, I can't think of a worse way to kind of die, right, than by drowning. Can you imagine what it would be like jumping into an ocean with like a 300-pound rock around your neck? I don't care how much water polo you played in high school. You're not doing so well with that wrapped around your neck. And he's like, that would be better for you than to cause my kids to stumble. And stumble is just another word for sin. So if you have a note sheet you want to follow along, when it comes to temptation, don't tempt others. Remember, this is if you are a follower, of, if you're saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm going to decide I'm a follower of Jesus. Don't tempt others into sin. Don't do it. And, and I, I kind of get that as a dad, right? I've got two awesome, beautiful kids, and I'm going to be like 39 in just like a few weeks. And I don't know what all I have left in this body, but if you mess with either one of my kids, we're both going to find out. <laughs> Woe to you, right? I mean, there may not be much. But I will open up a serious can of woe action on you if you mess with either one of my kids. And Jesus is like, do not tempt my kids into sin or head to the pier. Woe to you if you tempt my kids. I, he says, temptation is going to come to you, but it better not come through you or head to the pier. So I started thinking... If we're not to tempt others, how do we apply? What do we need to kind of keep in our mind about our, I got, I got to keep this in my forefront. And there, there's actually, there's a lot of stuff, but I came up with three things today that can, I think, kind of incorporate a lot of different things that can kind of help us. One is advice. One, one is advice. Um, because we are crazy here about groups. C groups, life groups, we are so, so crazy about people being in circles and applying God's word to their lives. And it is within our groups that we can get a lot of advice. But we have to be very careful at the advice we give if it goes against the handbook. Now, this is going to sting a little bit. One of the things I, I just, because uh, I've dealt with this recently, is be very, very careful the advice you give on divorce if it goes against the handbook. I have spoken to people who have said, I need a divorce. My spouse is a jerk. And I hear some of the stories and be like, you know what? You're right. But the reason they believe they should get a divorce is all their Christian friends tell them. 
And I'm not saying there aren't grounds for divorce in Scripture. There are. But when we say, oh, it's okay for you to get a divorce because we want them to be happy and not be holy, woe to you. We better watch ourselves. You know, when, when, um, another th- way I thought is, um, oh, I've heard this before. When it comes to porn, uh, I've heard some, hey, it, porn's okay because my wife is okay with it. Oh, I get, so, so the advice you're giving people is that, oh, you, you just, you deal with your sin by getting your wife to buy in on it. That, that woe to you doesn't make it okay. There, there's another one I didn't think of. This came from one of our students. I don't see Julian. He, he's awesome. He was at our sermon preview. He was like, yo, um, I think another one that, that is huge in this is um, saying, hey, it's okay. God will forgive you. I was like, woe to you. We have to be very careful at the advice we give if it goes against the handbook. It, we're not saying don't give advice. Just make sure it goes along with the word. Because that's what our groups are for, to have accountability and encourage each other on. But it has to be in the context of God's word. Otherwise, it's better for us to head to the pier. Another way is our actions. When it comes to others, don't, don't tempt others with our actions. And, um, uh, and this is why this, is, this has just been a vice for me in my life. So it was just like the natural one to talk about is alcohol. Because um, I, I had a struggle with alcohol for about six or seven years, alcohol and drugs. And, um, and it's so funny. What, what, what scripture talks about with alcohol is don't get drunk. Flat out, do not get drunk. That is a sin. Otherwise than that, there's been lines drawn all over the place. Some people are like, oh, that's it, never ever, not in a home, not out. Not, other people are like, hey, glass of wine is okay. It's all right with dinner. Or I go to a ball game, have a beer. There's lines all over the place when it comes to alcohol. All right. Now here's, here's the thing is that Paul comes along and he talks about eating and drinking in Corinthians. And, and this is what he says. He was like, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And then look what he says here. He says, No one should seek their own good, but the good of who? Others. We got to be thinking about other people when it comes to our actions. And then he goes on and he says, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for what? And then look at this. He uses that same stumble word that we're looking at today. And he says, do not cause anyone to stumble. So he's like, look, there's, there's freedom obviously here because all scripture says is don't get drunk. Now, if we take our freedom and it causes someone else to stumble, woe to you. We have to be very careful with our actions. We gotta be, our actions, we gotta be careful what we put on Facebook, social media. You gotta think before you hit send, people. I follow some of you, (laughs) right? I'm telling you, there's so much stuff I wanna send that I think would be funny. I'm like, ugh, I better not. Not, not, not a wise action just for a laugh and a like. We have to be very careful with our actions. The other thing, um, when it comes to not tempting others, others is with our attitude. And I, this is a huge one for me being, being like a dad, because 
Um, there's some other verses there in your note sheet about um, Ephesians 6, 4, Colossians 3, 21, where it talks about dads, you know, don't exasperate your children. Don't cause your children to become angry. And because I don't know if you know this, but honoring your father and mother um, is actually the first commandment with a promise. It's actually the first commandment that deals with people on people. The first four are all about us and God. We got to make this right with God. Now it's between people. The first one is honor your father and mother. And I think about my attitude and how sometimes I will come home and it's like, there are times I come home, I'm just, I'm done. I just want to sit down on the couch, give me a Dr. Pepper. And especially if the Steelers are playing, just leave me alone. Just let me, let, let, let me just watch the, the Steelers game, right? And if I have a bad attitude and I bring that into the home and it causes my kids to want to break the commandment, that's on me. Parents, that's on us. Now, students, this isn't an excuse to get ticked off at your parents because they have a bad attitude, all right? We still have to own up to us. But parents, we, come on, and it's not parents. It's sometimes, we know how to push our spouse's buttons, don't we? We know how to do this at work with our boss, with our employees. We, we know how to do this. And if our attitudes are causing somebody else to stumble, causing someone else to sin, get a rock head to the pier, because that would be better for us if we were to do that. And I'm just like, whoa, that's, I don't know, that's pretty serious. I mean, it's not a whole lot of instruction, but it's pretty serious instruction. There's some serious consequences about, whoa, I better not tempt anybody else into sin, or that's on me. So he's like, hey, followers of Jesus, if, if you are a follower of me, don't tempt others. Watch yourselves how you live. Now, it leads us to kind of this question, well, what happens if we do trip up? Because we just heard, hey, there's going to be things that cause us to stumble. He, he, he told, we're, that's bound to come. So what happens when we do mess up? Right? And check this out. It says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So when it comes to dealing with sin, the first R there in your note sheet is rebuke. Now, I don't know if you're like me, <laughs> but when I hear rebuke, I automatically get a picture of like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2, right? I can't be the only one, right? You know, he's just got like the leather jacket, all the guns. He's just like, boom, prepare for rebuke. <laughs> boom, you're rebuked, peace. Right? I mean, come on. I, when I think of rebuke, I'm like, oh, this is going to get, yes. Bring some rebuke. Yes. That, I, I'm, I'm ready for some rebuke. Here's the thing. Every single time there is rebuke, it is to win someone back, not to pay someone back. See, I think we have a habit. Look, look he's not saying you haven't been sinned against. This part is talking about when People sin against you and how, what is our duty when that happens to us? And our duty is we need to rebuke them. See, some of you, you are still hurt from somebody doing something to you and they may not even know because you haven't gone with a heart of love. And, and seriously, th this is just a question. This is a conversation. This is like, hey, can we go meet for coffee? I just want you to know this hurt me. Can you help me understand what happened? Sometimes we'll be very surprised how that conversation goes. There, there was um, 
an instance I wasn't made aware of where um, this, uh, a guy walked out of an office and a girl walked out of the office, you know, about the same time and the girl was married, the guy wasn't. Someone saw it, went to the girl's husband and was like, you're not going to believe this. They walked out of an office at the same time. And he called me up. He was just like, I, dude, I don't know what to do. I was like, call the guy. All right. Just go have coffee and be like, yo, this, this kind of bugged me. Can you help me explain? They were like, yeah, we were leaving at the same time. By the way, there's two other people in the office. And we actually had this this week in the church. We had a finance committee, committee meeting on Monday and a beautiful lady that I absolutely love in this church was there. And she told me this week, she was just like, I yelled at one of our staff members. I yelled at a staff member. And, and she was like, she, she told me on Tuesday, she said, Tuesday morning, he rebuked me in a way that there was so much love it was absolutely powerful and amazing and made me think about things differently and, and the conversation we had. And that is the point of rebuke. It is to win someone back, not pay someone back. Now, there are times you can go with a loving heart with a rebuke. Hey, hey, I just want you to know that this bothered me. What was, what was up? And they may be the jerk they thought you were. There's a lot of them around. But it is so important. If someone sins against you, you need to have a conversation. And it's not, well, you, 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 because poof, it's just going to fire. The, that, no point there. It is the point in the heart needs to be to win them back, not to pay them back. So the first part, if someone sits against you, is to rebuke them. Now, right now, I want you guys to fill in this blank, okay? The person in my life I am most angry with is... I want you to fill in the blank. It, it, it might be the person in my life I am most bitter with is, I want you to fill in the blank. I want you to put a hand up if you've got a name. I'm just going to say, we're not going to go until everyone has a name. <laughs> so put your hand up and keep it up. This, this, this is important. The person in my life I am most angry at when I, it doesn't even have to be them, but if I hear that same name, oh, that ticks me off. Everybody got a name? Have you said anything to them about it? Now, I want, I want you to be thinking about that name because if a brother or sister sins against you, we should rebuke them. Then if they repent, repent is, is a forgiveness, is a, hey, I'm owning this. All right. Now, repent goes two ways here. Repent is someone who sins against you they should be repenting for what they did against you. And for, for some of us, this is us. And there's some stuff that we might need to say we're sorry for. All right, because re repent is we need to ask God for forgiveness and we should probably say so sorry to the person that we've offended, I believe. So let me ask you this. Have you ever done this? Have you ever repented and gone a different way, gone the different direction? You say, I'm sorry. Now, let me, give, let me give you some help here. Here's what repentance is. Repentance is you go to someone that you've offended and you say, I was a jerk. I hurt you. I'm sorry. And then you shut up. I think a lot of times, here's how our repentance goes. Babe, Sweetie, you know, I, I love you. I'm so sorry. I know I was a jerk this week, but you have been just nagging me all week about mowing the yard. Bah, 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 bah. Eh. Now you have something else to repent about. <laughs> all right, I'm just going to let you know. That's not repentance. As soon as you start throwing an excuse or something, why? You have just ruined it. Repentance is, 
I'm so sorry I hurt you. That's it. That is the end of it. Now, if somebody, if a brother or sister comes to you with that kind of heart and is owning their piece of this, this is huge. If they repent, forgive them. Forgive them. Now, I know some of you might be like, well, you, you don't know how many times they've done that. Well, good news, Jesus thought of that ahead of time. And he says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, read it. You This is something we must do. This is our duty. This is something we are required to do. So when dealing with sin, we have to hit the reset button. I'm sorry, I was on a roll with the R's. Reset was the only thing I could come close to that was close to forgive. But we got to hit that reset button. Now, this is huge. When you hit the reset button, when it comes to forgive, it is not saying it is okay what they did. You are not saying, hey, all right, I forgive and you shouldn't have consequences. It's not saying that. This is so more about you and me than it is about the other person. Because right now, that person you have in your head, you're probably like, I can't, you don't know the story. You know, it's different. This is, you have no idea. He's like, you must forgive. Because I know some of you are pushing back and probably struggling with this right now because the disciples did. As soon as Jesus said, you must forgive them, look at what they said. They said, you need to increase our faith. <laughs> Jesus, if you want us to do that, you better increase our faith. And, and Jesus' reply, he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, so not a lot, if you just have a little bit of faith, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. It's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard, right? Okay, hold on, hold on. Jesus, we, we, you had just said that, hey, if someone sins against you, you know, we got to rebuke, there's repentance, we got to forgive. Okay, but you need to increase our faith for us to be able to live like that. He was like, no, you just need a little bit of faith, and then you can uproot a mulberry tree and put it in the ocean. I'm not sure I've met a Christian in my life. I have yet to meet the Christian who is, I'd be like, hey, what'd you do today? Moved a couple of mulberry trees. I've yet to meet the Christian who hasn't been able to do that. But I'm like a visual guy. So I spent some time on Google this week, Googling mulberry trees, something I never thought I would do in my entire life. I was like, all right, I got to understand mulberry trees. So I, I, I was Googling and I was like, how to plant a mulberry tree. And about 60% of what you see is don't. Right? The birds come, they eat all the berries, then they just poop everywhere. It's absolutely horrible. It's, and, and the root system of these trees, these trees are pretty wild. Look at these trees. So this is like a mulberry tree. It looks all pretty. But they say whenever you plant one, leave 30 to 50 feet before you have anything else because the roots are like these little finger things, right? Check out these roots. These roots are wild. See the roots there? And the roots go deeper than the tree goes high. I mean, the, and it's just, these roots just go everywhere. And they're like, hey, leave 30 to 50 feet. Here it is, tearing up a sidewalk because, because of the roots. And Jesus is like, look, you need to forgive. 
You must forgive, otherwise it's going to take root. And it is going to go really, really deep. And if you don't forgive, you're going to, you're going to, th this is going to, come on, some of y'all, you've got some roots that have gone back from, to your childhood because we haven't forgiven. And it's like, oh, they, they've sinned. Yeah. He's not, Jesus is not saying they haven't sinned against you, but you have to forgive. And he was like, if you have just a little bit of faith in me, you, you don't need a lot of faith in me. If you just have a little bit of faith of me, in me, it'll be like taking a mulberry tree, uprooting it, and putting it in the ocean. I didn't have to Google what happens to a mulberry tree if you plant it in the ocean. It dies. And it doesn't mean you forget, but it means you can be healed. And you don't have to carry around that root that's in you. And it only takes just a little bit of faith. Do we really believe Jesus will do what he says he will do? Do we have just, not huge, do you have just a little bit of faith to believe that whatever has taken root in you, he can take it somewhere where it will not survive any longer? Do, do you believe just a little bit? Because if you do, he'll do it. And I know this, this, this Ken Harvey's like, if you just have a little bit, I'll take this mulberry tree. You can say to it, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. It will happen. And this takes a reckless love. Because this can be hard to do, but it only takes a little bit of faith to do it. So what, what do we do with that stuff? What, what do we do? I mean, a lot of times we're, I mean, we are a Christian, which means we follow the example of Christ. And he was the perfect example for us. Because I don't know if you know the story that whenever Jesus was crucified, he's up there hanging on a tree, on a cross. And the guys below who just nailed him to the tree are now gambling for his clothes. And Jesus looks down. Do you remember what he says? He says, God, torch them and torture them right now before my eyes. No, that's not what he said. That's what I would say. That's a Steve prayer. That's a pay them back. That's not what Jesus said. He said, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I want to do everything in my power to win them back, not pay them back. Guys, this is six verses. Not a whole lot of instruction, but the consequences are so Severe. Because if we tempt others, we, can, we might as well just head to the pier. And if, if people have wronged us and we don't deal with that, it could ruin us for years. And that may be part of your story. That may be why you're here today. 
you're like, man, there's so much, there's so much rooted in me. And, and I go to church, I'm a Christian, I pray, but I, I, I keep holding on to this. Have we rebuked? Have, have, we, have we tried to forgive? Do we have just a little bit of faith in believing that Jesus will do what he says he'll do? And whenever we say, I don't know how in the world to do that, he gave us the perfect example himself by being on the cross to take care of all the stuff we've done, all the stuff we're gonna do and say, I want to even offer a chance to win back the guys who put me here because we've only done our duty. This is what is required of us for those of us who are followers of Jesus. So let me ask you, as we look at those six verses today, that's it, six verses. How are you doing with it? Is there, is there some stuff in your life that when you think about your actions, your attitudes, your advice, is there some stuff that maybe whew, we should have had to the pier for? Thankfully, we don't need to. But is there some stuff that maybe we need to ask forgiveness for? Is there some stuff that we need to ask God for, some wisdom for? God, there are people in my life I absolutely love and I want to be there for them. Will you help give me the wisdom to speak to them in love? Not for their happiness, but for their holiness. Is there some deep rootedness in you that there's some anger and hatred and bitterness and rage and all that junk that comes along with allowing stuff to get rooted in our heart? Is there any of that in here today that you just want to have a little bit of faith that it will be gone and thrown into the ocean where it will not survive. You know, the good news is that's available. Whatever it is in any of these areas where it's like, oh, I haven't done my duty here. I know it. We have an opportunity just to go into a time where we get to respond back to our Heavenly Father with however he's stirring in our hearts. And it takes a reckless love to do this. But it's a reckless love that was on the cross because he did it for you and he did it for me. And while hanging there, still offered an opportunity to win back and pay back because that is the heart of our heavenly Father. So during this time, this is your time to respond back to him, however he is leading you. If you want to come out of your seat and come to the altar, if you want to stand, if you want to put your hands up, if you want to go and pray, allow God to do whatever it is he is stirring in you right now with the reckless love that he has given those of us who would say, I'm a follower of you. Now, how do I need to act to be a better representation of you? Help me to do what is required of me. Give me a reckless love that will be an example of you.